Hello, everyone. Welcome to Titty Tattles. This is Sydney and Phoebe joining you from Taipei in London to gossip about movies, pop culture, and social issues from the perspective of two cosmopolitan Asian girls. We met in university and have both studied abroad in the West. This podcast is about having relaxed conversations, debating respectfully the controversial, exploring cultural nuances, and having fun while we do it. So sit back and pour yourself a glass of whiskey. Or a martini. Or your whole mini bar while we bring you some prattle. With a lot of giggles. After watching Mrs. Maisel, we were inspired to explore some female comedy in the modern day, and we heard that in the last few years, stand up comedy is becoming really popular in China as well. So, we watched a few together to see how to compare to stand up comedy in other parts of the world. Yeah, so since we were exploring female comedians with Mrs. Maisel, we decided to look into some Chinese female comedians who have become quite well known in recent years, and we listened to some famous pieces from two named Yang Li and Li Xueqin. Mm-hmm. They've been on the stand up comedy competitions where they were quite popular for their what do you call stand up con- comedy pieces? Skits? Their skits, yeah. Their skits, skits. their okay. skits. Mm-hmm. So on the whole, we both found Yang Li more funny than Li Xueqin. There, there was one piece from her, I think, that had a lot of influence in China when she was talking about uh, these guys who are very average yet very confident. And I think a lot of Chinese women related to that because everyone has a guy like that in their life. I think that's one of those things where I think every girl can relate to because we're so used to men flaunting their masculinity. Um, and I think she definitely touched on that specific point in, in during her skit. Yeah, and she has this demeanor that's not very strong. Like she, she's actually quite soft spoken, but she can get the point across quite well. And I, I think that makes her more relatable to girls as well. Yes. Whereas for Li Xueqing, I think the issue was that I think there was, for me, there was definitely an accent issue where, like, I understand like 90% of what she was saying, but some of the slangs that came from, I can't pinpoint which specific region in China she was from with her accent. Would you really? know? Really? <laughs> She's from my region. <laughs> But you don't talk like that. Well, I did. When I first came to Taiwan, the other girls at university used to have trouble understanding me because my accent really? was like that. I had to work on my accent. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit hard for me and I can't really resonate with what she's saying. And for me, I feel like it's a cultural like issue. Like there's a gap there. But for you, what do you think? About, why do you think Xueqing might have been or not have been interesting? Well, for me, I understand her and I do relate to her. We're from the same area, but... I just don't think she's pulling very strong punches. Like the part that we watched from her, mm. she was kind of making fun of herself and of her appearance in that she's quite famous online. She's like a comedy influencer on Chinese TikTok. Mm-hmm. And she was mm-hmm. making fun of the fact that she's not attractive and doesn't fit most people's idea of an influencer. And she also she also brought up the fact that she felt like she was blessed to be on the show, on the television program, because that meant that she had a lot of material to sort of plagiarize for her online skits because supposedly plagiarism is not apparently to her I don't think it was a big deal and for me as someone with um with my background I feel like I would take plagiarism seriously that wasn't funny at all to me yeah I, I guess the the comedy was in her being honest and pointing out these things that actually happened mm. in the industry mm-hmm. but yeah it, 
it didn't seem particularly entertaining to me either. Yeah, it felt like she was throwing a punch at the industry, but it wasn't done in a way that was like funny. It was done in a way as in like, oh, really? That happens? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think Chinese comedians try not to offend a lot more than comedians in other countries. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Where we're used to the censorship, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, I feel like before we move on to discussing whether censorship or other factors in the comedians, in, in the com- in the comic skits were an issue for us or weren't funny for us, I feel like we need to let people know what type of stuff we do find interesting. So you want to go first? Um, I don't actually watch that much stand-up comedy usually. <laughs> I, I, this I, is I not quite... convincing on the podcast. Like, I don't find them <laughs> funny, but I don't watch stand-up either. <laughs> I mean, I, I do watch some. I, I like British stand-up comedy a lot. Mm. I, I like Ricky Gervais and Russell Brand. I love, I love Ricky Gervais. Who doesn't love Ricky Gervais? I know. <laughs> Can you not love him? He's the best. Uh, I love Russell Brand. Uh, I watch a lot more American comedy. Um, I'm a huge fan of Eliza Schleslinger. I, I can't pronounce her name properly. I love Ali Wong. I love... Uh, uh, there's Trevor so many. I, I, oh, I love Trevor Noah. Um, I like... I actually like Seth Meyers when he's doing stand-up. I'm not a, I don't find his show very funny. Uh, I think maybe that's a production issue, but his, his like Netflix stand-up was really good. Do you like Saturday Night Live? That's like the yes. big comedy thing. In I, I, I like Saturday Night Live, but I think it's a it's a hit and miss on the comedy for me. Like, I, but I think it's because I'm not American. Okay, so now we've set the bar. Let's move on to discuss some of the reasons we didn't find the, the Chinese comedy so entertaining for us. Oh my god, censorship. I can't I don't think comedy can function with censorship. But apparently that's I mean, unfortunately I'd say that's a huge issue in China. I think there's still gonna be comedy everywhere, even with the censorship. Though I don't know if they have comedy in North Korea. I mean I, they, they gotta make fun of some things to survive, right? Not in public, not on YouTube for sure. Probably not. Do they even <laughs> have internet there? Anyway. I don't know. I, uh... <laughs> Yeah, with the censorship, Chinese comedy has developed in such a way that we make fun of things very softly and subtly because everyone is aware of the boundaries of the censorship. So yes. you, you don't actually say the whole joke. You just say mm-hmm. like the first third of the joke and everyone's like, ha ha ha, I know where you're going, but don't go there because otherwise they won't let you say that. I know, but see, my issue with it is like, I understand the necessity of censorship and granted, I feel like comedy can be done in ways that where the punches are thrown in a less vulgar sense, right? Because vulgarity is not everyone's cup of tea. But, like, when I was young, I read stuff like um, where it was, like, you know, people in court, you know, going on intellectual banter with each other. And it's like watching, it's like watching, it's like reading Oscar Wilde. It's like reading my uh, Lady Windermere's fan. It's sensible, it's lovely, but it, it gets to the point. It's funny, and... For me, it felt like maybe because that was ancient history, the censorship was a bit different at that time. Yeah, we should probably explain what that is. It's like a detective show set in ancient China, and uh, Ji Xiaolan is this kind of Sherlock Holmes-ish guy, and he doesn't do things by the book. And what's He Xin? He's, is he like a corrupt politician? I think Ji Xiao, they're both politicians. They both work for... Um, the, the emperor. emperor, but they have different political stances, and Hoshan is known as like the the shady guy, where Ji yeah, is the known villain as the guy, guy that has. And I, I just they had such a brilliant, wonderful banter that I always had this very 
like heartfelt chuckle in my heart. And now I look like Chinese comedy. I'm like, you have 5,000 years of culture and history. Did you really throw everything away after the Cultural Revolution? Please tell me you guys didn't. The modern <laughs> ones get worse and worse because they're more <laughs> sensitive about things that happen in the present day. You can relate it more to reality and they don't want people to make fun of reality. J- just a side note. Did you know that they stopped producing, like they prohibited prohibited producing um, what we call gong douju, which is like, um, period drama where like the concubines all come up like they scheme behind the like, emperor and they completely or just ones that don't reflect a, a positive mindset I, I i would assume it's just the latter but yeah you, you get what i mean right it's like i i yeah. feel like it's 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 hilarious i'm sorry no offense it's hilarious that the government is threatened by the fact that period drama is somehow mimicking real life in terms of the shady stuff that goes behind the government's doors. It could be that, but I also think it's just a, a symptom of the fact that the Chinese government is very male-dominated That's and uh, they they don't see any value in this kind of thing. They think it's promoting uh, poor morality and a yeah. skewered sense of history. It's such a shame, though, because those are the most feminist pieces of work I've ever seen um, in, in contemporary drama. I mean, there are other types... Of, of contemporary drama that are coming out recently but throughout the course of Chinese drama where it's like you know where the period dramas where the concubines they scheme against each other that has been it's so feminist it's women taking charge of their political influence in the imperial palace and making a difference behind closed doors it's so empowering you know yeah. and apparently that reflects on his regime and I'm like good for you she good for you well, he, they don't like the fact that these women appear to be gaining success by doing immoral things like plotting, killing babies, using their sexual attraction to gain success. They don't want to promote those kind of values to the Chinese population. Yes, but it's okay for an emperor to use his his hierarchy, his power to manipulate women and other people and also kill all of his brothers because, you know, he has like a shit ton of brothers to kill before he can actually get to the throne. Well, that's just historical truth, right? <laughs> What's to say that the women didn't have their fair share of interesting things to do before they could, you know, They probably did plot and scheme historically, <laughs> but they don't put that in the history books, do they? They don't, which is so unfun. Oh, I know. Okay. So yeah, that's the point. I feel like because... Anything political in China is so censored. For me, that's just not my taste. I When I watch female comedians, I love that the gender issues are so political. And a lot of them are actually not that leftist, you know? A lot of them try to find, like, a middle, nuanced ground. And that's why it's interesting. And even if it's about political satire towards the government or other um, issues that are constantly talked about, every comedian has that that incentive to address it. And that's why we resonate with it. But when I look at, when I watch Chinese comedy, I'm like, oh yeah, that's kind of funny. But then it's like, it's almost like, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with like the everyday struggles that you really have to propel through, you know? (laughs) I know. Yeah. Especially since you, you don't have the experience of living in China. Mm. So it's even less relatable for you. Yeah. How about you? Like, I'm very interested. Yeah. I think this whole, um, Censorship is a lot like the the famous part that Yang Li was talking about, mm-hmm. uh, about how when guys look at a thing, even a simple conversation, they have this sense of self-importance that 
no, this girl can't just be coming to me to chat. She must be wanting to learn something <laughs> from me. And the, the male-dominated Chinese government, they feel this way about all the entertainment that's put on in China as well, the TV shows, the movies. So when they look at a stand-up comedy show or a um, ancient period drama, they're like, hmm, they can't be watching this just for fun. They need to be getting some positive moral development out of it. So if it's not showing a very obvious pulling the punches moral value then it doesn't satisfy them by the way do you know about this um spring gala this spring gala show we have every year yeah Chongwan. yeah i used to watch it when i visited during chinese new year because i had nothing else to watch in china yeah it used to be good when i was a kid did you like it when you were a kid yeah because uh when i visited china the, the past few times because i have family there so it was interesting because we don't have that here in, in Taiwan. Do you like Zhao Benshan? I, I don't remember their names. I'm sorry. That's okay. But uh, he was like the very famous comedian in China when I was a kid. And uh, he fell out of popularity for some reason. I can't remember. But they stopped putting him on. But he was the one everyone anticipated watching. And he was really popular because he put on things in a relatable way. And there was no kind of moral agenda that they were trying to force down your throat through the comedy but then they stopped putting him on and they started doing these skits that were just so obviously trying to push a point and if it's more about the point than about comedy then it's not funny anymore i remember because when i was a lot younger i think i first visited shanghai in like high school and that was a long time ago from now i'm 27 right now so that's like 10 years ago Mm -hmm. um and it was interesting it was new was fresh some of it was funny um and you could tell that they spent a lot on the production but last time i went i think i was in college like a senior in college and i understand like it started becoming way too chinese political correct which meant it aligned with what the government yeah was. chinese politically yeah. correct is a very specific <laughs> thing <laughs> yeah but what what I, what I'm interested in learning is that you know you understand censorship you know how uh, the rules are are applied. How do you find yourself situated in the you're a bit iffy of it maybe you understand it? How do you try to find merit in all these attempts where all these performers, these artists, these show writers are trying to do something about their craft, but there's just so much going on. And as an audience, how does that make you feel? as a third culture person. Well, I, I think it does inhibit their ability to be funny because they've just cut off a lot of topics that they could make fun of. And actually the the most um, most interesting topics that they could be tackling. So they have to stick to the everyday, relatable, light mm. ones that can still be funny, but there's no bite to it. And yeah. with stand-up comedy, if there's no bite, there's kind of no charisma in it you know i was thinking like because it's inevitable that modern setup comedy touches on very vulgar senses of humor and and they they throw punches right in your face which is funny it fits the fast food culture type of mentality that we have but as literature majors we've also been very acquainted with stuff like shakespeare's humor or oscar wilde's humor where the punches are there, but the language is much more, sounds very elitist to say, but re relatively cultured, right? And I feel like sure. if, if things were able to be presented in such a crafted and skilled way in terms of honing the language and learning how to express yourself in a more educated sense, why do you think that stuff like Oscar Wilde is still very relatable today and it still throws the right punches, but, you know, it's the, but the language itself is a lot less 
controversial, I'd say. Why can't stand-up comedy in China try to approach that, I feel? If, if they have so much restrictions, shouldn't that be the goal? So your question is if uh, comedy like Oscar Wilde can be appreciated despite the language being more cultured, why can't we do that yeah. in the modern day? Yeah, because um, it was Victorian England, right? Like, they must have been prohibited from saying th- certain things, like presenting certain things. Yeah, they also worked with the censorship of the era. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like there's there's also the sense of commercialization and that balance they have to strike between censorship, commercialization, the way yeah, they get Yeah, I, I think maybe that's the key point because Oscar Wilde's audience was equipped to understand the nuances, whereas mm-hmm. um, modern stand-up comedy is broadcasted out to a very mixed audience. So the majority of people may not be able to appreciate humor that's mm-hmm. very highbrow. And I, I, I don't say this to say to like to completely put blame on Chinese comedy. I feel like a lot of Taiwanese comedy itself also profits from from a lot of vulgarity a lot of i wouldn't say cheap jokes i I would say very violent and aggressive statements that are very funny at the moment but you know if you think about the way the language is crafted it's obviously it's it's smart it's witty but it's also very fast food culture dominated even even with the feminist issues as well which brings us to the next question um what did you think about the feminist issues before i you know vomit my take on it (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting with female comedians everywhere. There's always a feminist take on their humor because they they talk about things that women can relate to how our relationship is with the men in our lives. So there's always naturally going to be a feminist angle on it. But for the Chinese ones, the, the punches are a lot softer, right? Yang Li got a lot of hate for saying that men are average yet confident. And that's not even that mean, is it? It's like a universal statement. It's like it's universally acknowledged that men who are uh, who are painfully average have definite confidence in their sheer existence. How do they get so <laughs> confident? Like, do their parents praise them a lot or what? Well, it's also because of like if we if we touch on the one child policy, right? Like a lot of parents thrive to have like a, a male kid. That's true. Right. Yeah. Or, and without the one child policy, they would have constantly tried to produce more kids until they got to the male heir. So naturally, if, they, if it, we were trying to raise a kid within the one child policy and it was a male, I would assume that kid was spoiled to bits. Right. In a lot of families. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's also a very universal topic, which is why it still resonates with people like us, that men had this undeserved um, assuredness of their existence because... They're expected to do well. They're expected to achieve with minimal effort. Whatever they do, there's no problem with it. Women are criticized for being overachieving. Women are criticized for so many things, and men aren't. Yeah, for some reason, in in society, there's a lot of anxiety about being a woman, a lot more than it seems towards being a man. Yeah, so I I definitely understand why the feminist issue became such a big topic. I, I felt so sorry for her. I felt like her punches were so soft. They were like baby rabbit fur soft. Like, it was a tickle. And then she got bashed for that. And there was these moments where she was talking to the... She was on stage, and these male-female comedians were like, oh, my God, she's talking about relationships again. She's talking about men again. And then the other I mean, comedian why shouldn't was like, she well, talk about it? Why shouldn't she? Right? And then the other comedian was like, well, she's not talking about dating you, so, like, you know, chill. I and know. That, that moment, I was like, see, when men put them... See themselves under this microscope, 
um, and they see themselves judged because of their performance or how they behave in a relationship, they get so anxious about it. <laughs> yeah, they're not used to that kind of scrutiny. So I would like to provide my take on the feminist issue, and I feel like this might offend a lot of people. Go I on. feel like because people like you and I have the privilege of staying up to date with a lot of feminist issues, and we're very used to people, for to women that... Um, either parade femininity or women that bash men with very with with a lot of strong language about uh, male anxiety and gender inequality is that when when female comedians like Yang Li they bring up these really soft punches it's like we've talked we've been talking about this for 10 years it's not funny anymore because it's not fresh there are other things that we'd like to tackle there's this constant struggle with what does it mean to be a girl but feel empowered for being a girl and not a woman who feels empowered because she has to overpower men because she has to be like men you know that's like how the current um rhetoric or the current argument is going but for her to to throw this really soft cute punch about like oh you know i don't understand why men are so assured about themselves you know they're rather plain and you know rather mediocre it's like uh, i get it but it's not it was funny 10 years ago now it's like it's it's like emma watson level (laughs) feminism yeah, I mean, also Emma Watson has been criticized for her type of elite white feminism. So, I don't know. I, I just, I just found it a little bit like this is something that we've internalized for years since we were exposed to the buddings of um, feminist progressiveness, and now it's like I applaud you, and I understand China has a different timeline when it comes to these things and i i do understand the value of her saying that it's just as a person in my position it's like it's cute but it's not funny anymore <laughs> yeah because you've seen so many other female comedians who pull harder yeah. punches than that yeah and speaking of harder punches i feel like there's also a um a slight difference between how um female comedians in china phrase their jokes i feel like western female comedians they have this they have the license to be authentic, and that's a privilege for them because they live in a country where in a in a in a place where the government supports democracy, right? So they're allowed to tailor these very authentic stories with very specific details that they've crafted to the sense where, like, even though it was a specific incident, the outcome was every woman, every woman thought about that that moment when something like that happened every woman has that reaction to a dick pic every woman has that first experience that regardless of the details we thought we thought the same thing about men and they have their style they have these personalized anecdotes but they they generate the same reaction in the audience whereas in people like yang li it was a cute anecdote but hardly any grown woman really resonates with that kid that guy that sat next to her in class that was so confident about getting a C at school. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's a memory that you don't really dwell upon <laughs> as a grown woman. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I remember that kid. There was, there's always that kid in the class. Okay. So this is supposed to be a short take. So we need to wrap this up soon. I know. Let's move yeah. on to our next question where we talk about the cu- cultural dissonance for third culture kids like this. I have a few questions to uh, address. Um, do you think that, uh, not knowing the celebrity was an issue for you because definitely was for me. I'm definitely, yeah. I I am Chinese, <laughs> but I'm not very up to date on Chinese pop culture and the celebrities. So a lot of the time, when they are making a joke that's specifically referencing something a certain celebrity did, it just flew right over our heads. We were both sitting there like, "Who's that? What does it mean?" So it doesn't work for us. 
I have the same thing with American comedy sometimes if they reference some actors I haven't heard of. I I feel like for me, I I forgive myself for not understanding Chinese pop culture because I'm not Chinese and because I'm Taiwanese and everyone has heard about the situation between Taiwan and China. I sort of program to sort of voluntarily reject some of the pop culture in China just to distinct the difference between being Taiwanese and being Chinese and that's just how I was brought up specifically. So mm-hmm. I I do see this dissonance, but since we're on this topic, as a third culture kid, do you feel guilty that you can't always relate to the general culture as a third culture kid? Because for me, I definitely understand that, but I'd like to hear what you think first. Well, I I don't feel guilty, but it mm-hmm. is kind of inconvenient in conversation sometimes because it gives me less to relate to with other Chinese students if they're into some Chinese reality show or they've watched something happen in Chinese celebrity circles recently that I have no idea about. My my Chinese friends have kind of gotten used to me not knowing anything. I see. I've always had this struggle with growing up with a mom that played opera and musicals for me where and and sort of like I wouldn't say, sort of actively made sure that I prioritized those types of music tastes first than whatever was popular among my peers. And I grew up embracing um the way she brought me up. But I always feel like I'm supposed to owe something to my roots. And that's where third culture kid feels very confused, right? Like you've been exposed to this multiculture scheme. You resonate with so many things around the world, but when it comes to your roots, you often feel a little bit like distance, a bit like you feel like an outcast and and watching Chinese comedy definitely made me feel that way in a sense like I supposed to supposedly I speak the language, you know, and we have we share a historical sort of connection with China, but I just resonate more with British and American comedy. I, I don't know. Or even Indian comedy for that sense, because... <laughs> I know, I yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it comes down to it, in the comedy of the world, Chinese comedy is not really known as the funniest, is it? <laughs> okay, so let's do a few quick rounds of quick comparisons before we wrap this up. So for yes. China versus Taiwan... What is your take? And after that, we'll move on to China versus the US and the UK. I feel like China versus Taiwan, the biggest difference in comedy is that Taiwan doesn't take itself so seriously. The entertainment is very entertaining and the news is also very entertaining. <laughs> it was a big culture shock for me when I first went to Taiwan and the news had like colorful banners all over it. And the newscaster was like, so today there was a car accident in Kaohsiung that caused seven injuries. And they sound so happy about it. I know. It's so chirpy. So let, let's imitate what uh, CNN would sound like if a Taiwanese-trained journalist was reporting the news. Yeah, I'm reading this from a random news post. It would sound something like, so normally, I think CNN sounds like, oh, AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine showed 79 efficacy against symptomatic disease and 100 efficacy against severe disease and hospitalization in a new yeah. U.S.-based clinical trial. That's what it would sound like with a very stern sounds voice. Right. But in Taiwan, everything sounds like, AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine shows 79 eff- efficacy against symptomatic disease and 100 efficacy against severe disease and hospitalization <laughs> in a new U.S.-based trial. <laughs> and you're like... I know you're trying so hard, but the pitch is so high. And uh, <laughs> it's like, and this is going to be a car accident that they, <laughs> I know it could be a car accident that they're reporting on. It still sounds so chirpy. And I understand that news workers try so hard to produce, produce content. And, but still it's, I understand where you're coming from. I get, why do they do that? 
I know. Especially, like, I do applaud how, like, Chinese news anchors, regardless of the, my, uh, that I'm not familiar with the Beijing accent, it still sounds a little bit more serious because they choose women with a more, like, a, they're like altos in, in yeah. terms of, like, the way their voice is ranged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They go for newscasters who have, like, a strong but serious voice. Like the the documentary voice. Yes, yes. So I I I got it entertaining myself. Um, I like that we have a freedom of speech, but sometimes yes, the news is programmed in a way where it's like kind of too cute for me. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea how uh, it got like that. Is it like Japanese influence or? I don't think so. I think we have a softer accent in that sense, and I think Taiwanese girls are more prone to speak in a certain way where like femininity is a lot more preferred in many scenarios true i do know many taiwanese girls who talk like that just in real life the cutesy nuts you know the whole like oh if we're cute and we do certain things and guys will buy that <laughs> even though we're faking it it works all the time <laughs> yeah it's also why flirting is so different and we definitely have to do an episode on how to flirt in mandarin and how to flirt in whatever language that we prefer to flirt in. that's a good idea <laughs> okay so my take on taiwan versus china is we throw hard punches at um, politicians. I think that's the biggest difference for me. I enjoy watching comedians bash both sides of of any party. And it's mm-hmm. it's such a pleasure to watch them just like satire their way through. It's But in, in China, that's not allowed. So for, because I enjoy political satire a lot, it doesn't work for me in Chinese comedy. Okay, moving on to the next one. Yeah. And the last one, China versus UK and the US. Would you like to go first? Sure. Okay, so China versus the UK. I think what they have in common is that Chinese and UK humor is more subtle compared to American humor, which is just kind of punch you in the face sort of humor. Yes, uh, yes. And uh, I think UK humor focuses more on making fun of yourself and uh, mm-hmm. having this loser mindset. Whereas mm-hmm. Chinese people would hesitate to present themselves as a loser, which is why mm-hmm. uh, it was funny probably to Chinese audiences when Li Xueqin was doing her skits making fun of herself, because we don't do that very often. Mm-hmm. But uh, compared mm-hmm. to US humor, I think we both have the buffing ourselves up portion of it, but Americans are a lot mm-hmm. more high intensity and high energy when they're doing comedy. Whereas Chinese mm. people are just kind of mm-hmm. doing a calm monologue. How mm-hmm. about you? What do you think? I agree with everything that you said. And yeah, and, and to add on anything, I feel like I, what I love about British humor is that, so for me, American humor is like, boom, boom. Like the punches are very, like you said, intense. They're very abrupt sometimes even. And it works. It's, it's really funny. And I, I love a British humor because the intensity of sarcasm is done so smoothly in a way where like you're not even offended that they said that <laughs> you know and, and i love that they they craft in the very like they keep things in the gray area it's so nuanced it's so funny you have a gen you have a, like a genuine chuckle um with british humor and sometimes it's even if they were trying to present it in a more nuanced form the punches are still pretty harsh it's just not yeah. in your face harsh. It's like, <laughs> I just if realized you have to think about it. A that bit. was a lot of shade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> I, I still love American comedy. It's a lot more theatrical and it depend, depend like based on the taste that I usually go for. I, it's very theatrical in my sense. Um, 
I like Trevor Noah, but he's not American. He's more he's South African. It's more international, so he doesn't yeah. have to rely on vulgarity to to catch people's attention. He he really can just talk uh, touch on the multicultural background that he already has, which is basically his biggest asset. Um, for Chinese comedy, it's like what we've been talking about. Everything is there. Everything has been things in the making for us for the past decade or so. So it's not new enough for me. It's not edgy enough for me. And I personally do enjoy a more edgier taste. And yes, there's censorship. So politically speaking, it it just doesn't work for me. And and I, but but I love the fact that there are a lot of comedians where I see the effort in the way they're presenting their scripts. I really see it, and I feel like they would be able to do so well if they were. If they were Uncle Rogers, if they were somewhere else in the world, and <laughs> yeah. they were allowed to throw their own punches without censorship, right? Yeah. So, would you recommend someone who hasn't watched Chinese comedy before to watch some? And which one would you recommend they start with? Okay, so I'm speaking of this as someone who's focused more on televised um, versions of comedy. Sure, and those I've been are more told accessible. by yeah, and from my friends who are also multicultural in the sense where like they have family and friends. And they travel more frequently between um, both sides of the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've said that the televised versions are trash, which I kind of do agree on, especially when they hire other actors to present themselves, and the script was is the script is always poorly written. Yeah. So no, I think that from my experience, if you don't have such a cultural gap between Chinese culture and you understand the language, you should probably look for more like niche communities. Um, in in the stand-up comedy scene. But if you really enjoy the essence of stand-up comedy where you're supposed to be direct, you're supposed to test the boundaries, you're supposed to talk about things that people normally find not politically correct enough to talk about, then Chinese comedy is not for you. And if you wanted something like that, maybe you want to look into uh, some overseas Chinese comedians, like the Uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. How about you? How about you? Yeah, I I think I share your opinion on that. For for somebody who's interested in Chinese culture and wants an insight into Chinese comedy, I think they might actually have a better chance watching some TV shows or like a movies or something that's fictional mm-hmm. because they loosen the censorship a little bit when things are fictional. Whereas yeah. stand-up comedy yeah, is direct observation on reality, so it's they have to soften the punches even more. Exactly. For that. Wow, that was that was fun, and, and it was meant not to be shorter, very short. It was, <laughs> it was not a very short take. So that's our medium take our on takes. Chinese comedy. That's our <laughs> medium take. Okay, so we hope you guys enjoyed it, and that's really our perspective from someone who's living in Taipei and Taiwanese, and someone who's living in London and is a third culture kid. Woo woo! Hope you like it. Stay tuned. We'll have a new episode coming up very soon. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.